Hello and welcome to the Working From Wisdom podcast. My guest in today's episode is Shanann Charania. And I met Shanann recently through an organisation that we both help out with called Heartfelt Presence and was instantly drawn to his story and his experience. And Shanann is a transformative coach, but he is somebody who certainly didn't get there the easy way. And I think it's pretty safe to say that he brings a huge amount of life experience into the work that he does and how he shows up in life. And uh, we basically went through his story from being involved in gangs and selling drugs and arms to where he is today. And it was just an utterly fascinating story, which I, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope you do too. Shanann, you are very welcome to my podcast. I'm delighted to have you as a guest. Thank you for inviting me, Tracy. So, as we discussed just before we came on, I don't know anything about you, mm. <laughs> which is kind of a nice place. It's a nice place to start a conversation with because it means that there's loads that I can learn about you. Um, and I guess, you know, one of the places that I like to start with guests is to ask them what working from wisdom means to them. So. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a expansive question. Mm. Uh, for me, and, and I think the way I can speak to that is only in comparison right now. Uh, so working from wisdom really to me is first understanding that there is perfect mental health. There's perfect wisdom in everybody and it's accessible and that the natural state uh, of our mind is clarity and creativity and resilience and that our mind is designed for that. And, and seeing that in myself uh, is obviously very imperative. So one of the most recent, I guess, insights, if you want to call it that, and when I say recent, it's, it's been developing itself within the last six months or so, has been to see wisdom in everyone. And I know that might sound obvious because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've tried it, I've done it. But the difference has been, it's so much easier to see thought in people. You know, like, oh, they're stuck in their thinking. Oh, they're stuck in their thinking here. They're okay, but here's how I can spot they're stuck in their thinking. Well, what's changed is that here's, here's where their wisdom is. Here's where their wisdom is. And here's where their wisdom is. And that's changed so much on how the conversation flows. And um, it's been the difference between, you know, I think Michael Neal said it best when he says, we create people by how we listen to them. I loved that because I was like, yes, that's it. If you're listening for wisdom, you're creating that. You're creating that inside the conversation. You're creating that person as you speak. And as they see it, uh, that's how they'll be. That's how they'll start to operate in the world. So 
as important as it was to help people spot thought, right? That's, you're just stuck in your thinking. It's not that big of a deal. To, ooh, here's, here's what you said. Did you see that? Here's the wisdom that you're expressing. Did you, did, you, did you catch that? Did you notice that? And it's been a game changer. So I think that, to me right now, is what working from wisdom would mean. And do you find that sometimes wisdom doesn't sound like what we think wisdom should sound like? Yes, absolutely. In so many ways. And I'm so fascinated by the creativity of it, you know, this ultimate principle that creates it all. And I mean, I think we, we, we just have these limitations. Like if I speak for myself, you know, I, I've experienced seeing the wisdom within myself. I've experienced seeing wisdom in my past events, behaviors, and so on. Uh, and I was just talking about this uh, yesterday to someone to say that I, I'm getting insights from when I was noticing wisdom in 2003 and four. I mean, it's 2021 and I'm going, oh yeah, that's, that's what happened in 2004. So it shows up in so, much, in so many different ways, but I think that I limit myself if I think it's going to show up a certain way, if I'm looking for something you know, and I've learned to see that it's the feeling without the words on top of it. And I know that's kind of gets mixed up in the language, just trust the feeling and notice the feeling. But what's helped, what's been helpful for me is to see that there is a feeling and then my mind wants to accompany it with words. And if I can just not do that, if I can not buy that, and stay with the feeling, then that expands and it will allow me to see the creative wisdom come into play without the limitations of how it's supposed to be, without my own mental limitations of how it's supposed to show up. And then, you know, I notice the feeling more in a conversation or in the room. And again, my mind's like, well, what's it about? And if I cannot, you know, go for that. If I can, if I can reject the sale and stay with the feeling, then I'm able to notice more presence, more, more alertness, more beauty. One of my most recent examples of that is going for walks. I, I love going for morning walks now that it's summer and beautiful fresh air where I live here. I'm, I'm halfway up a mountain. So at 6am, it's just crisp and fresh and gorgeous. And I see flowers and I see birds and I want to admire them, right? They're beautiful. And my mind wants to say, what kind of bird is it? <laughs> you know, and, and if I don't go for that, then I stay with it. But if I try and figure out what kind of bird is it or what kind of flower is it? Oh, I've seen this flower before. It looks like so-and-so. If I don't go for that, then I stay with the feeling. And that feeling has this expansion of of beauty, really. I love that. I love how you described that. And, and it, it, you know, it is something that I've kind of really noticed myself in the last while, that 
sometimes wisdom shows up for me, but it doesn't make sense. And when I try to make sense of it, because it's contradicting my my habitual thinking or it's contradicting what I'm taught is the way to do something. But yet I feel I feel driven to do something that goes against that. And there was a bit of that uh, uh, tug of war going on within me in that. Oh, yeah, but like you just said, looking for the words or looking for the, the meaning or the reason. And and there certainly was a process of letting go of that, of dropping that and just really leaning into the, you know what, I'm being guided to do this. It kind of doesn't make sense to me, but so what? Because right. it feels nice and it's a good fit. And if I can just write it out at some point down the line, then I will be able to look back and go, oh, now I see. And, and there really is something in that we just don't know where something is taking us. And when we're okay in not knowing what unfolds will always be beautiful as we're as long as we're willing to just lean into it and go, oh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And especially with the reflection, you're so right. You know, you, you do see more in reflection. And sometimes it's harder for us to, you know, bank on that sort of. We, we, it's harder for us to rely on that. So we want to try and figure it out in the moment. But it's true. You're always going to see it later. Why not just stay with the experience right now? And, and reflection on wisdom is it's a whole new way of being in your past because mm. often habitually when we go to the past we go to negative memories or mistakes that we made right. or just general shitty thinking but because we're kind of not really taught to or conditioned to reflect on moments of where wisdom really sh has shown up for us and and the more that I do it the more I'm I'm having moments of wow you know I didn't know that at the time it looked like you know what I was being guided to do was turning my world upside down but actually look where it brought me and mm. and it helps in trusting then in the things that kind of don't make sense. It's sort of like, well, you know what? Other things didn't make sense to me and everything worked out okay. So I'm just gonna roll with it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, with this understanding, it's lovely kind of to be in this space now where we're you know, older and wiser and uh, being guided from this lovely place. That wasn't always the case for you, though, was it? It or was not. <laughs> Wild boy done good kind of thing. Yeah, some some version of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So. 
growing up, you know, I was born in Kenya and uh, I'm in Vancouver, Canada now. And my parents brought me here, me and my older brother. Uh, I was 11 years old when I came. And I experienced a huge culture shock, which I wasn't prepared for at all. A language is different. You know, I obviously looked different, uh, wore different clothes than the country I'm going into. It's third world to first world country. And I was 11. So I was going through puberty as well. Like I've got things going on for myself. <laughs> I don't need this on top of that. Um, but I got bullied a lot, you know, and I, I didn't expect that. I, I've never experienced bullying, being bullied in Kenya. And I didn't know what it was. Like I literally just, you know, uh, I couldn't make sense of it. So I kind of just pushed it down, didn't really talk about it. Then it came a point where it was really bothering me. So I started to talk about it to my parents and my friends' parents and teachers and my older brother. And, and across the board, I really just heard from others that it's part of being in school, right? Like, it's, it's not a big deal. Walk it off kind of thing. And to me, I, I, I remember specifically, and this is all in reflection, like really started to make sense to me at age 32, 33, what happened when I was 11. And that was that I remember when I was hearing that, uh, what was running through my mind and translation was get up, get dressed, go get bullied. That's basically what I'm being told. <laughs> and, and I just didn't want to do that. I mean, it didn't make sense to do that. Get up, get dressed, get, go get bullied. So I started skipping school a lot, right? My, my parents would drop me off in the front and I'd be out the back. And I started to hang out with kids that were skipping school. And again, in reflection to see why they were skipping school, why they were labeled as the bad kids that are always skipping school and smoking and all that is because they were getting bullied. They were immigrants. They didn't know how to handle it. So we, we had that sense of connection together of, oh, you too, me too. And um, from that point on, I started to go what people would call astray, right? I started to pay less attention to school, started to find ways to avoid it. Uh, all surrounded around being bullied and, and not liking it. Uh, this continued till I was about 13 years of age, which I went to high school at, at age 13. And uh, obviously a bigger school, more people, uh, more bullying happened. And there came a point where I started to notice that, and again, in reflection, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but I started to notice that I, I'm, I'm acting now. I'm not being myself. And what I seen in reflection was that the reason I did that, this all came to me through insight too. I wasn't trying to figure out. It was like, oh, that's why I did it. Uh, the fundamental reason was that I believed there was something unlikable about me. You know, now I see it as a thought came in. <laughs> it was just a thought. But it was that thought. It was like, well, it makes sense. If people don't like you, there must be something unlikable. So I kind of went with that. And uh, I guess I was holding it in too much. And it was just becoming so overwhelming for me that I fought back in aggression. Right? There was this one instance that, where I got bullied and just couldn't take it. So I fought back. And I got in a fight with the bully. And as I got in a fight with the bully, uh, I heard cheering. 
I don't know where it was coming from, but it was like, yeah, Shanann, good for you. Stand up for yourself. Now, in my head, what that meant was, ooh, this is something likable. I should continue doing this. Mm -hmm. And I literally did. I got into so many fights and I became the bully because that was something likable. So after I became the bully, I was 13, 14, becoming a bully. Uh, people were scared now. And to me, it didn't look like people were scared. It looked like people were respecting me. <laughs> I mistook it, you know? And, and I went with it. And I got into so many fights that it was, it, it was, it went really fast down, downhill for me. So um, just in grade eight alone, I got suspended three times and expelled from the school, went to another school, got so many fights again, suspended three times, expelled. That happened to three different schools until the district itself was like, we don't want this kid in our schools, put him in an alternate school where all the bad kids go. So I went there and um, literally that was a place where kids were waiting to go to youth correctional facilities or coming out of youth correctional facilities. And um, there was a lot of drama there. There was kids 14, 15 doing drugs in the washroom, heroin, crystal meth, you know, hard drugs. And I kind of went down that road. I started experimenting with cocaine at age 14. I was doing anything that anyone would like, you know, I was just trying to be liked. I was looking for a sense of belonging. So if that's drinking and drugs, then let's do that. And um, so I got into that and by 15, uh, I was sort of sick of school, you know. I mean, to be fair, this was 20, 25 years ago. So the school system was different. Parenting was different. Teaching was different. There wasn't so many support systems or even awareness programs around bullying or, you know, listening to kids. It was more about here's what to do. Here's what not to do. It wasn't, you know, there's a lot more listening now. I mean, I'm involved in speaking at schools and working with youth now too. But back then it was, it was, here's what's good and here's what's bad. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do. And I found that nobody was actually asking me what's going on with you, you know? So by age 15, uh, I got sick of it and I heard too much from too many adults. And I said, I feel like I'm misunderstood. I'm not integrated with the school system. Everything I do is perceived as wrong. You know, I'm such a victim of the system. <laughs> It's the government's fault. It's the school's fault. It's your fault. It's not me. Uh, so I was, I was really angry. So I quit school. I dropped out at age 15. And um, by that time, like I said, I was already experimenting with cocaine and getting into drugs, slightly flirting with it, that world. And when I, when I uh, left school, I remember being extremely insecure. And again, I didn't know what, what it was, the feeling, but it was insecure about what my future is gonna be like. And the last school, school I left, which was the alternate school, uh, I remember my principal having a chat with me. He was a pretty cool guy. He was, he was friendly, he, he did his best. But he had a chat with me before I left and he said, can we just have a conversation off the record? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said to me, Shanann, the world is tough out there. If you don't have an education, you will not be successful. That's the reality. And truth be told, that was the reality back then. It's not anymore, thankfully. 
But he was right. And so again, the way my mind was translating that was, if I don't have an education, I won't be successful. Success equals money. Okay, got it. If I don't have an education, I won't have money. Right? So that's not what he was saying, but that's how I heard it. And so I became really insecure. And, and as soon as I dropped out, I, I started hanging out with the boys even more and they were selling drugs. And that was the perfect way to be successful, so to speak. Right. So I did, I got into selling drugs and uh, it went downhill really fast. So 15, 16, 17 at age 15, 16, 17, I got really into selling hard drugs and it went into, you know, ounces of cocaine to larger amounts to anything that I could really get around that would get me money. And as a 15 and 16 year old, as you must know, we know everything. You can't teach us anything. We know everything already. I have already. a 15 year old son, so I can attest to right, that. There you go. He, know, he knows everything. Everything. And, and as I started making money, I remember thinking, haha, Mr. Principal, I make more than you. You know, you, you, you said I won't be successful. Look at me. And, um, it was a good life. I was making lots of money, 15, 16, 17, partying lots, hanging out with the bad boys, going to the clubs. I didn't feel like I was miserable at all. I had a lot of people that feared me, but I, again, mistook it for respect. So I rode the train. And um, when, I got, when I was 18 years old, uh, my best friend was shot dead. And that threw me in for a, a real spin. I was not expecting that to happen in any sense of the word. It shocked me. And I went into this deep depression, which I didn't know was depression. I just, turbulent feelings, overwhelming feelings. And what was cocaine as a weekend party drug that I sometimes did because it was cool, now turned into a numbing agent. You know, I needed it because otherwise I don't know what will happen. And so I, I, I got worse, you know, I, I went deeper into it. And everything that I could see in that world um, that would make me money, I would do, whether it was selling drugs to robbing people to whatever it took. So I got into selling guns. I got into home invading people, uh, hanging out with people that were doing that. And it got deeper, faster. And that continued till I was age 23. So between 18 and 23, after my friend died, I, I, I literally felt like there's nothing more to live for. Like, this is, this is the life. Let's just go deeper. What are we going to do? And um, I had the perfect numbing agent, obviously. So, you know, loud music at the clubs, drugs and alcohol. Wake up the next day, you do it again. Uh, at age 23, my parents' house was shot up and they were inside. And that shook me. That literally threw me into the present moment to go, whoa, wait a second. What happened? Just yesterday, you were being bullied. And here you are 10 years later. You know, literally, it was like that blink of an eye. What, what, what just happened? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember uh, thinking I have a choice. Uh, it was the same night, like my parents' house got shot up. I was in the bushes because I was on my way home to, to check what had happened. But there were so many cops around. I was known to the police. My dad actually answered the phone when I called and he said, don't come here. You know, we're, we're fine, but don't come here. And I remember thinking when he said that, like, what a nice guy. What a sweetheart. 
that he's still trying to protect me. What he was actually saying, I found out later, was don't come here because you're so short-fused. We don't know what you'll do. Because <laughs> wow. yeah. I used to carry a gun. Now you put me in front of cops and I'm in this angry state. Uh, don't know what will happen. So I was forced to go into the bushes and I sat there for four hours, literally, just with nothing but my thoughts. And I remember thinking specifically, here's your crossroads. And the thought that came to me that was so clear was, do you want to continue pretending to be a gangster? Or do you want to change your life? And I knew it was pretending because that wasn't me. I had created this avatar, you know? And I say that, uh, sometimes people say, oh, well, that's your story. I say, no, that's everyone's story. No one's born a gangster. Everyone's pretending to be one, you know? And I chose the latter. I said, um, you know, my friends at the time were, were really pissed off and they said, we're, we're going to find out who it is and we know who it is and we'll go get them. And uh, people were expecting me to do something because I had that kind of reputation. Shanann's going to do something about this. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm just not going to do anything. Like the ball is in my court. Nobody's injured, right? Thankfully, still don't know how that nobody's injured when there were six shots fired in the home and they're all inside. But I'm going to do nothing. If I don't do nothing, it stops here. I mean, I'll get made fun of at the worst. But if I do something, what, what next, you know? By this time, I had lost a lot of friends. I mean, I lost my best friend at 18. But by the time I was 23, I had lost so many friends to overdose, to death, to jail. And it all started to make sense to me that this is not the life. And I explained it sometimes as... You know, the, the, the world is closing in on me, but there was still this sliver of opening left. If I took an action, it's closed. And if I don't, I can sort of slip slip through this one. Uh, so I did. I slipped through that one, and I, and I decided that night that I want to get out of this life. And my naive self didn't really know that you can't hand a pink slip and get out of this life. <laughs> yeah. So... So no matter what I did, I kept going back to that world. That's the only world I knew. You know, one of the hardest things for me was to become civilized again, to behave in a, in a civilized manner in society as a productive member of society, because I was in the underworld and that's all I knew. So I kept getting jobs, trying to get out of that world and kept getting fired, didn't know how to keep a job, didn't know how to be there, was always late or showed up drunk or too arrogant. Um, and, and so it took about four years for me to actually get out of that life. Like I, I got fired from, I think, of six jobs in, in the first two years. Yeah. Um, but I kept at it, and, and I eventually got out of that life, and I got into business, and I worked at a restaurant, uh, Tim Hortons. Okay, yeah. Do you know the Tim Hortons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Canada, it's huge, right? And yeah, I don't... Um, I think there's a few in Ireland as well. It's certainly the coffee. Oh, is it? I'm not sure if they have the, the, I think you can definitely get the coffee here. Yeah. 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 It's very popular. And here it's like a religion, like really it's associated with hockey and everyone loves it. And it's been around for 60 years, I think. Um, so I got into that because it's like a McDonald's in terms of what kind of systems they run. So it's basically a cash cow. They're established, you plug yourself in, you'll be financially successful. 
and me and my insecurity about being financially successful, I was like, this is the perfect thing, you know, let's get it. Uh, of course, I didn't have any background uh, in terms of, you know, work experience, uh, credit, history, everything was dealt with cash. I even remember going to a job interview and they're going, like, what are you even doing? Because your resume is half a page long. I was in like, sales. You were born yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I was master in sales. But nevertheless, I got into Timmy's and um, I worked there. I applied and, and I wore the hairnet and started serving coffee and became a baker and then did the midnight shifts and became a supervisor, assistant manager, manager, you know, kind of did all the steps. And that was required to know the business in order to own it. I mean, not required by them, but my experience, my lack of experience, my lack of being in the world and in, in, you know, on top of the underground world on the top side. So I did that. And that was actually really humbling for me because I worked with people, uh, minimum wage workers. And I started to actually start to see that, man, I'm working with these people that are working three jobs. You know, a lot of them are immigrants. They're sending money back home. And they're doing honest day's work. Look at me trying to cheat my way through life. Like, it was really humbling. It was like, wow, it's embarrassing. But it was good. It was meant to be. Because it woke me up to the fact that this is, this is what life is, not that, what you think is. Always cheating people and robbing people. So I woke up to the real nature within us, if you can, if you can say that, you know, this um, altruism that's, I think, in everyone. And, um, and so I stayed the pursuit and, and I eventually got my own Tim Hortons, you know, so in 2011, opened a Tim Hortons and was the proud owner of one. And I went through a lot of experiences um, from people thinking I'm a write-off, this guy's into drugs and gangs, he's done, to, oh, you made it out of drugs and gangs. That's pretty good, but you're still limited because you don't have an education. To, oh my God, you're a Tim Hortons owner. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> you know, so I went through all of that, like seeing how people are responding to me and how I'm responding to myself. And uh, the restaurant did really well. We were doing over $2 million the first year. The second year, it was meant to do even more. But something around year two hit me. And that was that there was something missing. Like, I couldn't explain it. But 2013 came around and I was going, man, there's something missing. This place is doing over $2 million. I have a nice penthouse suite now. I have a couple of cars. Things are going really well. Everyone who thought I was a failure is now respecting me. What more could I ask for? Nothing. If you take inventory of life, I mean, people even called me really lucky because not many people go from that to this. But I couldn't shake off the feeling. And I used to work in the restaurant. I used to work 16, 20 hours a day. It's a 24-hour restaurant. You got to be there. Something's always breaking or somebody's trying to rob you or somebody's trying to fall in inside of the dining room because they think you're a millionaire. So they want to sue you. You know, you got to deal with all kinds of things. And, and it would wear me down, but I didn't know because that's the only way I knew how to be. So just work, work, work. I, I mean, coffee was free, so it assisted me in working. 
And I used to go home and crash on the couch and get up in the morning and go back to work. And I worked myself into this sort of overwhelmed burnout um, where I would be taking a week or two weeks off um, unplanned because I was so burnt out. And again, this feeling wouldn't leave me. There's something missing. There's something missing. A couple of my friends were getting coached. I didn't even know what coaching was. This is 2013. They're being coached. And I'm thinking, coaching? What, what do you mean, coach? Uh, this in my new mind, tangled business you speak of. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so bizarre to me. Uh, in my mind, it was associated with athletes. You know, like I can, I can see how athletes need coaching. You want to get to Olympic level, you get coaching. But life coaching, what's that about? Sounds like a scam to me. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, you guys do your thing. I'm doing my thing. I've got this gig. But I, as I spoke to them, I noticed they were happier. You know, they had a sense of humor. They were going golfing and fishing. Their relationships were getting better. They were eating healthier. They were sleeping better. And I was like, wait a minute. There's something I'm not doing right. And they were not, it's not like they were, trading their their finances for it they were making the same money or more they were just happier people so i got really interested and i said what is this about so one of my friends referred me to a coach and i spoke with him and um they were powerful conversations you know transformative conversations and and in 2013 i hired him and i remember him asking me questions that really just blew me open and one of, the, one of the questions that landed for me was, um, Shanann, what, what do you think success is? How do you define it? And I remember saying to him, well, success is money. Everyone knows that. Like, what's the next question? He goes, slow down. <laughs> really? That's what success is to you? You're not considering relationships or your health or contribution to society? Maybe taking on a leadership role? and being a productive member. And I was like, huh, never thought of this. And I left that conversation in so much reflection that I was automatically taken into, how are my relationships? What, what is my health about? Now, I was still the owner of a Timmy's. So I would go into Timmy's and, you know, I had 50 staff and I'm the boss there. So I have to come in and be, hey, how's it going, guys? Everything good? What do you need help with? What do you need help with? But internally, I'm going, oh, God, I've just been shaken up with these questions. One of the things I remember was that my mom used to bring me this home-cooked meals because I was working all day. And she would come in, and I would be so busy, and she'd be like, Shanann, just cook this. It's still hot. Eat it. I remember looking at her like, can't you see I'm busy? Why would you interrupt me? And that came to mind. I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Really? I'm, what am I doing that for money? And I started looking at my health. And Tim Hortons is, like I said, it's a cafe and bake shop. It's a quick service restaurant. So most of the food is processed. That's just the, uh, the system. That's the, that's the business. And I started realizing that's all I'm eating all day is processed food. I'm there 16 hours a day. Oh, my God, I'm totally not valuing my health. So I started waking up in these aspects and going, whoa, I really don't want to be here. I'm so not aligned to this. And uh, for the next six months, I was in a position where I felt this is not for me. I mean, great business. They take care of you very well. It's beautifully established. You plug yourself in. You're going to make it. 
financially, but it's not for Shanann. And, and that became stronger and stronger of a pull. And then another insight hit me, which was I got out of the drug and gang world. I got out of this world where I was making money illegally, making really good money illegally. And I plugged myself into the Tim Hortons, which was making really good money legally. But nothing underneath changed. I had the same mind. And that was a wake up, like, whoa, your mind is the same. Your beliefs are the same. It's just you've redecorated your external world. People are reacting to the redecoration. So you think you've done better, but you're miserable. Yeah. You know, so that that's that's when I started to really look at, oh, wait a minute, like I've got to change the inside. What, what am I looking at the outside for? No wonder there's there's a feeling of something is missing even though it looks like nothing is missing. So it was a really difficult decision for me. I mean, I would say one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make in my life, which was to give, give the restaurant back. You know, I had, to, I had signed a 20-year lease with them because that's the minimum they do. And in year two, I'm going, I don't want to do this anymore, guys. <laughs> so you can imagine the reaction from them, like, wait a second, what's going on? And it was difficult even more because I had worked from the bottom to get there. You know, I, I'd worked all the positions for four years as a minimum wage worker to get to this position. And then I wanted to give it up. I was way too confused. I didn't know what to do. I just knew I didn't want to do that. So I did, I gave it up. I took a bunch, I took about six months off. And I remember when in those six months and I was still being coached. So I was being opened up. But I was craving to get in touch with my soul. Like I used to go kayaking alone and put the water on my face. You know, I used to go hiking and put the soil on my forehead just to get a feel of like, oh, I'm so disconnected from nature. And continued getting coached and realized how impactful it was. And so I said, I want to I wanna do this. Coaching is so impactful. You just have powerful, loving conversations inside of a safe container and it changes lives. And so I said, I, I might want to experiment with this to see if I'm, if I'm really want to do this. And so I did 2013, I started experimenting uh, and 2014, I, I, I just fell in love. Like one of the first clients I had, I remember I worked with her for three months at the end of three months you know, you sort of do a review and go, what worked for you? What are your greatest insights? What, what do you take away? And I'm expecting her to say, you know, here's what's improved and here's what's changed. And she said to me, she's like, Shanann, I'm not going to list what's changed. I'm going to tell you one thing that has been impactful. And she said, me, we got in a family fight about 14 years ago. And me and my sister have not spoken since then for 14 years, we're having dinner next weekend together. And I just fell in tears. I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. This is what I want to do. I fell in love with coaching. So 2014, I started my own business and I've been doing that ever since. And I sort of went into performance coaching and empowerment and, you know, helping people with things in their life to discovering the principles uh, late 2015 and realizing instead of helping people with something in their lives, 
like Sid says, show them a new world and they'll help themselves. Yeah. So that expanded things for me. And by 2018, I started to see possibilities of going back into the drug and gang world, going into speaking in schools. Uh, so I did all, I do all of that now since 2018 on a voluntary basis, working alongside police officers and teachers and anti-gang forums and and there's a lot of agenda in that world of stay away from gangs and stay away from drugs. And here's the dangers of it. But I think principles just bring this level of neutrality to it. To How about we get curious about what, what else there is in life and what else there is inside of you instead of trying to stay away from something. Yeah. So it's been extremely rewarding. And of course, I've, I remain a student because it's so fascinating to me, you know. That's, I, I just, I love your story, Shanann. And it's just, it's such a beautiful flow of, I guess, of humanness. Mm. And, and the, the, my previous guests on the podcast were Omar and Jacqueline from Beyond Recovery. And um, yes. they went to prisons in the UK. And so, again, there was just a beautiful flow in, in recognizing our innocence. And uh, because I think it's so easy to categorize people as, oh, some mm -hmm. people are just born bad, you know, or they've just got badness in them. And, and, and that's just not true. I mean, the truth is that we, we're acting based on the thinking that we have. You know, your path was designed by your insecurity and your state of mind because of that. And you made choices based on that. And it's really that simple. Yeah. You know, and, and we put so much value in, in reputation and, and people respecting us. And again, because... The innocence is that we give too much importance to our personal thinking. But I love your seeing. And I love how you got lost again in the whole lot of it and the, and the money and the success. But something was there all along. Whispering. There's more to yeah. it. There's something else you're forgetting. <laughs> I love that. And now that it's come full circle and you're sharing that understanding with, with young kids, I think that's, that's humanness, isn't it? The frailty it's of so us, human. the innocence of us. We, we fall out of our true nature, but we always have the ability to find our way back again. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true, you know in the world of personal development, like I got into coaching and that was the world, right? Improve yourself, become better. Uh, until of course, I started to get insight into the principles behind, behind it all. And I didn't realize how much guilt and shame I was hanging on to from that world. So I was trying to work that out and also trying to be somebody and juggling that. And the principles help me see that there's nothing to work out. You, you've got to see it for what it is. Yeah. 
which you pointed to, you know, the innocence, like I was able to genuinely forgive myself of my past. Whereas before I could see that it wasn't genuine forgiveness. It was, how can I see it better? How can I reframe it? Yeah. You know, it wasn't, oh, it's innocence. You don't need to do anything about it. You got to see it. And the shame and guilt, it was, it was heavy. Like I literally tried to work that. I, I tell this story often to my clients. It, I spent two years, I think it was around 2016, 17. So I was already introduced to the principles, but I hadn't had those big insights. I was just really attracted to truth. Those two years I spent working on shame and guilt, like working on it. You know, I would wake up in the morning, be completely fine, think of my past, be completely in a low mood because I've just thought about my past for 10, yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. And then I would work it out. And, and, and I remember discovering that what if you didn't think up your past you would not have to spend the day working it out it's like oh my god that's quite embarrassing because it's been two years i've been doing that <laughs> and then yeah. let, having that drop and seeing that there is again like you said there's this humanness it's just called being human literally there's nothing more on top of it you need to know in fact i I started a program this year called Be Human because we are so inclined to be spiritually enlightened, you know, and I've been on that path too. And there was mistakes that I made around trying to be more human, like accept your flaws and try to be more human. And that didn't work. Um, try and transcend your humanity, become more spiritual. Well, that didn't work either. <laughs> But I realized that if we're oriented to our spiritual nature, if we're just seeing that more, then we can allow ourselves to be human. You know? Yeah. You know, I've, I've is... noticed myself lately a few times being in judgment of others. Yeah. And, you know, kind of with this understanding in the past, I would have berated myself. So I would have judged myself for having judgment of others. But now I notice it and I go, oh, yeah, I'm, I am full on in judgment. Well, you know what? Now that's what I'm doing. And I'm just going to yeah. embrace it. I'm going to really just get into the judgment of it. I see what I'm doing. I know it's made up thinking. And that's it. Like, I see that to be in judgment of somebody else is has no more weight or meaning than me sitting doing positive affirmations for myself. Right. Like there's, there's nothing more to it. So it's you can be in wherever you are in your thought with a light heart, with nothing attached to it. And it just floats on in its own time and you're left with nothing you're left with no guilt on the back of it you're left with no self-beration or judgment or i'm better than this it just moves on yeah because that's part of being human exactly yeah i love that that that's it that's it i find myself getting 
good and angry now instead of, oh, I'm about to get angry. Let me stop that or do something about it or make it mean something. It's like, you're angry. Be angry. There's no residue that carries on after. Or, you know, one of the one of the ways I explain my anxiety, because I was always mildly anxious. And I would be able to handle a six or seven out of 10. It would go to six or seven. I'd still do the day. If it would go to an eight, I'd cancel meetings. I'd make up stories. I'd make up excuses. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm sick. I'm this. I'm that. And that was like an eight out of 10. It was just too much. Now I can handle like a 12 out of 10. <laughs> Let it go to 12. It's not going to affect me because it's in the mind. It's not in me. And, and allowing for that to happen, you know, allowing the anxiety or guilt or shame or doubt or fear or whatever it is. And like you said, it doesn't stay. It, it floats away. But that's the blessing of this understanding. Like, I really am so grateful for this understanding for, for, if, for many things. But for that particular thing, that, is, that alone is life-changing. You know, if you can just let your feelings be. You, in my experience, I've become more sensitive to life and less sensitive to my emotions, you know? Whereas before, I used to be extremely sensitive to my emotions. A little bit of poke to me, and I'd either get angry or scared or mad or embarrassed or whatever it is. And now I find myself, my sensitivity is pointed outwards. My innocence has come back. Um, and that's another thing. It's It's this... I talk to people that have also gotten out of that world of gangs and drugs and violence and crime. There's still a big residue. There's, there's this identity, you know, you can never go back to who you were before that, but that's untrue. There's innocence inside of us. That's always fresh. You can always go back to it. And that emerges more and more. And, and, and I think that this understanding it's so simple. It allows for that to happen. You know, it allows people to wake up and live in a life and an awakened life. It's not out there to become enlightened and this, that, and the other. It's just become a little bit more awake. And it's so simple and possible. And what Sid brought to this world of uh, to me personally, it was impactful, the, the thought, right? The principle of thought. My God, I've read scriptures and spiritual texts from all over the world, from people that were, you know, 400, 600 years ago, they were writing this. And I never got it until I went, oh, my God, thought. <laughs> Thanks, Sid. And everything else started to make sense after that, too. So it is. It's a real blessing to see through experience and see it for what it is and then be it like throw yourself into experience if it is transient what's the big deal shanann thank you so much for joining me and thank you for sharing your story which was really really beautiful and um and and just so inspiring to hear that as well um and i love the work that you are doing Thank you, Tracy. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. And again, thank you so much for inviting me. I had a lot of fun.